Esther chapter 4, and the title of the message is Standing for Right No Matter the Cost. Easy to say, sometimes harder to apply, is it not? But it really should not matter what the cost is, because Christian, you and I need to remember there's a greater weight of glory waiting for us on the other side. There's a reward waiting for us, an incorruptible reward. And so standing for what is right and doing right will be rewarded. Now, a couple weeks ago, we examined that Mordecai and the Jews were weeping and mourning that the decree was signed, and Esther sent raiment to Mordecai so that he could remove the sackcloth, but he refused, and she wants to know why. And this is where we picked up last week, so I'm just going to go ahead and read verses 5 through 17 again, and then we'll quickly do a review, and then we will finish this, Lord willing, this morning. So Esther chapter 4 in verse 5, Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king and make supplication unto him, and make request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called there is one law of his to put him to death except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live and i have not been called to come unto the king these 30 days and they told to mordecai esther's words then mordecai commanded to answer esther think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the jews for if thou altogether Holdest thy peace at this time, then shall, there, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also, my maidens, will fast likewise, and so shall I go unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, again, I pray you guide as we study this passage this morning. Give wisdom. Teach us, Lord, to stand for truth and stand for right, no matter the cost. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. By way of review, for those that may have not been here last week, the point number one we looked at was determining the record. I like the way that Esther did not just jump to conclusions about why Mordecai is out there mourning, because it is very possible and probable that she had had not heard yet what had happened, because obviously she would be probably mourning over this as well. And she's wondering, what is wrong with my cousin Mordecai? What has him so upset? So she takes this trusted Chamberlain and says, I need you to go out to Mordecai and find out 
why he refuses this change of raiment and what the cause is that's causing him to mourn so. We in our society are too quick to make judgment sometimes without getting all the facts. Just because it's posted on Facebook doesn't make it true. I know I say that all the time, but folks, it is amazing to me how many times, well, I saw it on Facebook, so I shared it, and then you find out it's false, and it makes you look like you don't even know what you're talking about. Here's the best thing to do with Facebook. Ignore it. Life is better without it. We lived a long time without it. As Matthew Henry said, she sent to Mordecai to know what particularly and fully what the trouble was for which he was now lamenting and why it was that he would not put, on a, put off his sackcloth to inquire thus after news <clears throat> that we may know the better how, how to direct our griefs and joys, our prayers and praises well becomes all, the, all that love Zion. If we must weep with those that weep, we must know why they weep. And remember, we are commanded in Scripture to rejoice with those that do rejoice and weep with those that do weep. And so we need to know the reason for rejoicing and the reason for weeping. Then we look, secondly, at detailing the reality. So Esther sends Haytack out there and says, I need you to find out why cousin Mordecai is mourning. What's going on? What's so bad? And Mordecai then details all that happened. He didn't leave out part of it. As I gave the illustration last week, the guy said, you know, to his friend, he says, I stole a rope. His friend goes, well, that's not too bad. He goes, well, there's a cow attached to the other side of the rope. You know, it kind of left out some details, right? Well, telling a half-truth is a whole lie. And we live in a society that thinks that lying is okay and half-truths are okay and Everybody deceiving everybody. Christian, you and I need to be with integrity and tell all the facts. And that's exactly what Mordecai does. He says all that happened unto him tells about the bribe money and how he plans on destroying all the Jews. But I love this, is that he doesn't just tell her, but he provides documentation. Now, again, remember, this is back before the days of Xerox and copiers and even the mimeograph machine. This is back when documentation would have had to have been handwritten, but somehow he had gotten a copy, and how, I don't know, okay? But somehow he had gotten a copy of the decree and had it there and says to Haytech, I need you to take this document back to Esther because this proves what is being done. I like proof on things. I've been accused as a commissioner of trying to ask for too much details. But you know what? I like for them to have to prove what they're doing. Prove that this is the best way because it's your tax dollars that are going for it. And then here's the step that many of us fail. See, we're good at complaining about the problem. We, we can acknowledge there's a problem and then we complain about the problem. And then we all sit in our little circle complaining about the problem. You know, I've been to different meetings where I see this happen. People go to the meeting, they hear about this problem, they complain about the problem, then they all go home, and you know what gets done? Nothing. But I like Mordecai because he didn't just see the problem, acknowledge the problem, document the problem, but then he offers a solution to the problem. Try to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Now, I admit, there are times when there's problems I don't know how to solve it. So you know what I try to do? Ask for help. 
Ask for wise counsel. Ask for others who may have been in the situation. Say, you know, I really don't know how to face this situation. Do you have any recommendation? But Mordecai has a solution, and he says in verse 8, Also he gave him a copy of the writing of the creed that was given to Shushan to destroy them and to show it unto Esther and declare it unto her and to charge her, so here's his solution, that she should go into the king to make supplication unto him and make requests before him for her people. So he looks at the situation. He looks at all this time how that Esther has been taken and made queen of Persia and says, you know what? Here's an opportunity, and here's a solution. So he tells Hatak, listen, when you show this to her, I need you to tell her that she needs to go before the king, and he needs to make a request to the king for we the Jews. Now, that's a good solution, right? Now, he understands the danger. He's not trying to do this flippantly. He understands there's danger involved in this. But let me ask you a question. If you were in Mordecai's shoes, could you come up with a better solution? And would you have the courage to recommend that solution, knowing that it could cost your cousin's life? He knew that this was the right answer. And so he sends word back to her with this solution. Well, then we come to our third point, which was denying the request. Now, remember, Esther, when she heard this, She's like, no, 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 no. You know, everybody knows that you don't go before the king without being requested to come before the king because everybody knows that there's this law that if he doesn't raise the golden scepter to you that you're going to die, and he hasn't called me in 30 days, so you go tell Mordecai that's a dumb idea, I'm not doing it. That's the JKV of what happened there. She was putting her personal safety ahead of principle. She was thinking of self and not others. Now, listen. Yes, she eventually does the right thing, okay? So I'm not trying to criticize her because, you know what? I'm guilty many times. The very first response is, no way. That's not happening. Okay? You want me to stand out there all alone in this whole thing? Where's everybody else? You know, let's face it. We all tend to think that way initially, And she's looking at this situation, going back to our series from Ecclesiastes, under the sun. Because she's not acknowledging the power of God at this point. She's not acknowledging that God has placed her here at this point. She's just looking at it from a personal safety. And as I said, before I get too critical of her, the truth is, is this is naturally how you and I would naturally first look at the situation. And so she tells Haytack, you take word back out to Mordecai, and you tell him he's off his rocker, I'm not doing it. Well, I almost think Mordecai expected that. So let's go to verse 12 and defending the reason. And they told Mordecai Esther's words, and Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. He reminds her, you are not exempt from the results of this decree. You're not exempt from the results of sin. This decree applies to all Jews, and don't think just because you're in the king's house that when they find out you're a Jew that they're not going to kill you too. You know, sometimes you and I need somebody of reason to come and just to talk to us and say, hey, by the way, did you ever really think the whole situation through? Because 
If you don't go before the king, you're in just as much danger as if you do go before the king because eventually they're going to find out that you're a Jew and off goes your head, Esther. It's amazing how many people trust in their position to save them or trust in things or trust in large armies as we saw in in Psalm 20 and verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Listen, it's not the large army and navy that saves us. Now, I'm glad we have a large army and navy and, and, well, unfortunately, Marine Corps is still small, but anyhow, I'm glad we have large armed forces. But our faith and trust should not be in our armed forces. It should be in the God of this nation. Because again, when we go back through our own history, just a little over 200, almost 250 years ago, when we were fighting a war, we didn't have all the equipment. We didn't have all the best stuff. The other side did. And yet we had a victory because God guided us through it. And let me tell you something. We're seeing today... All this wonderful equipment we have that God has blessed us with means nothing, especially when it's getting stolen right out from under us. Just call it what it is, folks. But I love this verse here where he says in verse 14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, there shall... Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. This shows me a man who walked close with God. This one phrase, because he could say with confidence, Esther, the Jews will be delivered. He could say that with boldness and confidence. Now let me ask you again, I asked this last week, but some of you weren't here. Why could Mordecai say with such confidence that the Jews will be delivered? Think about it, folks. They were promised the Messiah would come. He had not come. And I believe that was a a nail that Mordecai could hang his hat on that, you know what? The Jews will survive. There will be a deliverance because Messiah has not come. And see, this shows a confidence in God. A confidence, Christian, that you and I can have because, you know what? It's been over 2,000 years and Jesus Christ still hasn't come back, but he promised he is coming back. And you and I can have the same confidence that it will happen because the same God promised it. I just, I find that phrase amazing and shows a a man with great confidence in God. But then he says, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. If you don't do this, you're going to be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther, stop and think for a moment. You're just a poor Jewish girl. You were part of the captives here in, well, what's now Persia. God took you when the king came up with his plan of finding a new wife, and you were one of the many women that were kidnapped and taken to be his potential queen. And of all those women, you were chosen to be the queen. Esther, did you ever stop to think, maybe God did that for this very purpose? 
Have you ever stopped to think the things that God allowed in your life and in the, in the trials that you went through and the things that sometimes you want to question and say, why, God, did I have to go through that? He has a purpose. He has a plan. And someday there might come an event where you'll sit down and you'll say, you know what? I get it now. I will tell you, raising a family of four, having a family of four, and trying to provide for a family of four on a single income from Walmart as a, originally I was a sales clerk, but then I moved to produce, and then I, so that made me a stocker, and then I moved to assembly, so that made me a, I don't know, put together, but anyhow, whatever I did there, I promise you this, and I'm not trying to say this to toot my own horn or to complain or anything, but didn't make a whole lot of money while I was at Walmart, and there were times during college that I didn't know how we were going to pay for things. There was one time I went out to the car, we had a little uh, Chevy Cavalier, and I looked at the tires, and I saw the cord sticking through the tires, and I'm like, hmm, new tires or school bill? Because I literally was going to get in the car to go pay my school or to, so I could take another class. And I said, well, so I took the car to the tire shop, got four new tires on it, then I drove over to college and said, I'm going to have to sit out this semester. The academic dean challenged me, he says, Jim, I understand he says, but could you trust God for just one class? I was like, Doc, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of money. He says, could you just trust God for one class? I said, I don't have it. And he just smiled. He says, if you don't mind, I'm going to sign you up for just one class. I was like, all right. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. Well, a week later, I got a message that somebody paid for that class for me. There were time and time and time again throughout my life, the trials and even what I shared last week about storms and trials that I've been in, that I would not change it for the world. Because when I came here to what then was Lake Road Baptist Church, and I think I told you, I got here in October of 2008, in February 2009, when it didn't look like we were going to make it out of the month in the black. And I called a prayer meeting the men in my office and they were crying out to God. I went home and I was laughing, and my wife thought I was nuts, which I am. And she goes, why are you laughing? I said, in all those trials you and I have suffered over the last several years, and we've seen God do great and mighty things, I said, he, he was teaching us. He was teaching us to rely on him. And I told you the very first Sunday of March, we had a $4,000 offering, about 10 people sitting out here. I still don't know where it came from. Don't care. But it's just saying, God teaches you, God runs you through these things, and God has a specific purpose, a specific plan for you. You know, I never thought when I was a corpsman attached to VMGR 252 that I would ever come back to Cherry Point and minister to these Marines. But let me tell you something. It's funny because, you know, you tell, you, you tell a Marine, I'm a, when I tell him I'm a sailor, oh, ha-ha, but then I say I'm a corpsman, all of a sudden it changes. You see, she needed the, the confidence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 when they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and said, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. God has a time for you. And I'm going to be honest with you. These are exciting times in which we live. 
Because I'll tell you what, there's no, never been a generation on earth that sees some of the things that you and I see happening. I can imagine our grandparents' generation or our great-grandparents' generation reading some of the prophecies in the Bible thinking, how in the world would that ever happen? I mean, you ever think about when the two witnesses are slain in the street, it says the whole world sees it. You ever think about how did our grandparents think that that would ever happen? How could the whole world see it at once? We don't ask that question anymore, right? You know, it's funny because throughout history, people have been wondering, well, what's this mark of the beast and how's it going to work and everything else and how's it going to be put in your hand and how's it going to be put in your forehead and all this? And, you know, when barcodes first came out, everybody was scared of those. Oh, the mark of the beast is here and everything else and all this stuff. But now we have all these implants. And I'm not saying that is what it is, but I'm saying this. You and I see how it potentially could happen a lot easier than what they ever could. These are exciting times in which we live. Because honestly, we see the church of Laodicea around us. The church has fallen asleep. The church has left its first love. But we need to still be that church of Philadelphia that's on fire for God. Because I'll tell you what, folks. I don't know how much longer, but I promise you this. It's not going to be long and the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to and then I won't worry about the scale so much anymore. We need to do as David did. Some interesting words in Acts 13, verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. David was equipped to serve David's generation. If you were to bring David into the 21st century, he wouldn't be able to serve here. This is not his generation. But you and I have been equipped to serve this generation. Now listen, I know some of us that are getting a little bit older, you know, may struggle in trying to learn how to do things on the computer and whatnot. I had my son over the other day because I never had a car where it takes me weeks to try to figure out what all the buttons do on the car, okay? I mean, it just used to be start it and turn the radio on and drive, but no, not anymore, man, all this stuff. Anyhow, I was trying to figure out how to get the music to play from my, well, I had this little device I could plug in, and Josh is like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just put it on your phone? I'm like, well, you put the music on your phone? He goes, yeah. So he comes over, and five minutes later, he has the music on my phone. Now when I get in the car, the Bluetooth connects to the car, and I can just start playing my music. I'm like... Because now I don't have to plug this thing in every time. Because anyhow, and I have no idea what I just said. <laughs> but it works. I get in the car and it works. <laughs> my dad told me, no, my dad, my dad's in his 70s. He goes, well, because he has a GM product too. He says, you should be able to just hit this button and tell it who you want to call. And I'm like, well, it doesn't seem to be working. So I'm still figuring that one out. But he says, I do it all the time. I just tell it who I want to call, and it just calls. Like, so we're still working on that part. But my point being is, you know what? Okay, so we have to learn a little bit. But God has equipped us for it. Pastor Bill Wingard, who's now in glory, had a car, a newer car. And I got in the car with him once, and he's sitting there, and he just pushes the button. He's talking to people and telling the car to call people and everything else. And he sent me a text, text, no lie, and it had emojis in it. And I figure, you know, if this man who was 90-some years old can learn all this technology, then how dare I run around with a stupid excuse that I can't? He would. He would send me texts with emojis. I'm like, 
You go, Pastor Wingard. You know, that's pretty cool. We need to serve our generation. God has equipped us to serve this generation, so let's do it well. So that brings us to our last point, defining the resolve. When Esther heard the words of Mordecai, she changed her perspective from a selfish perspective to a selfless perspective. She stopped looking at the situation from under the sun and started looking at it with the sun and understanding that God is in control of all things. But I love her answer. She didn't take it lightly. Although she realizes, you know what? Mordecai is right. God probably placed me here for such a time as this. And so she says, all right, then here's what I need you to do. I need you to go. I need you to gather all the Jews. And I need you to have three days of fasting and prayer. Now, I know you read the passage and you say, oh, preacher, it doesn't say prayer. Well, let me ask you a question. You read through the rest of the Bible and show me where fasting and prayer are not tied together. As a matter of fact, what is the purpose for fasting? To have extra time in which to go before God and show that I'm willing to do without my necessary food for a time in order to spend extra time before you, God, in prayer. Showing our reliance on him. So she says to Mordecai, okay, Mordecai, I'm going to do this in three days, but for the next three days, I need you to gather all the Jews in Shushan. I need you to gather them up, and I need you to have a time of fasting and prayer. So now Mordecai has moved to action. He finally gets off the ashes that he's sitting in and says, okay, it's time to go and gather all the Jews, and we're going to have a three-day prayer meeting and fasting. And she says, I'm going to do the same in the palace. Now, get this. She takes all her maidens. Now, that's interesting. Because are they Jews? No. But she says, you know what? I'm the queen. You're going to come on over here with me. And we're going to have a time of praying and fasting because I am a follower of Jehovah God. And she's setting this example before these maids that are attending to her saying, we're going to fast and pray for three days because in three days I'm going before the king. Now, I can imagine these Gentiles who know nothing about the power of Jehovah God thinking, she's off her rocker. She's going to go get killed. But, you know, I don't know if she's had opportunity to tell them about God. I don't know if they've made a choice to follow God. I don't know, but I do know this. She says, we're going to have a time of prayer and fasting in the palace, in a wicked palace. This is pretty amazing to me. She didn't go in her own strength, but she went in the strength of the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 71, 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. And that's exactly what she's saying is, I'm going to go before the king, not in my own power, but in the power of God. And she says, if I perish, I perish. She has the same exact attitude that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. It doesn't matter the result. I'm going to do it because it's right. And Christian, you and I need to get over what the results are. Leave the results up to God. God already knows, but you and I need to do right because it's right. We need to die to self. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, I die daily. Die to self, die to the flesh. Be filled with the Spirit or controlled by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5, 18, and be not drunk with wine where it's an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Realize that he's the one that empowers us. Acts 1, 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. She was willing to give all. 
She was willing to die for a cause greater than self. She was willing to die that others might live. So I ask, what are you willing to give for Christ? You know, we sing the song, I gave my life for thee, and it asked the question, what hast thou given for me? Jesus gave us all for us. What are we giving for him? What do we give in return for all that he has done for us? Are we faithful? You know, it's interesting to me, those that say, oh, you know, if there ever came a time of persecution, I'd be faithful. But they're not even trying to be faithful to church. They're not trying to be faithful to, to their time in prayer. They're not being faithful to Bible study. They're not being faithful tithers. They're not being faithful witnesses. And you sometimes just wonder, how are you going to stand up for Christ then if you're not willing to stand up for him now? But she made an unwavering commitment. She said, I'm going to do this. And you and I need to be like Daniel and purpose in our heart. You see, Daniel didn't wait until the temptation was there. He made the purpose in his heart earlier that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. Joseph had made determination earlier that he was not going to sin against God. So have we made an unwavering commitment to follow Christ? What would it take to stop you from serving him? She was willing to give her life if that's what it required. We just sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though no one join me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. Are we truly following him? Have we decided to follow Jesus no matter what? Because Esther determined in her life that she was going to do the right thing no matter the cost. It didn't matter what everybody else was doing. She realized God had placed her in the position that she was in, and she had a responsibility to do her best to be able to save the Jews from destruction. And if God chose to use her, as he did, since we know the rest of the story, then praise the Lord. But let me ask you a question. If she had gone before Ahasuerus, and he had not raised the golden scepter to her, and she were killed right there in the court for presenting herself to the king without being called, would have she been a failure? The answer is no. Because she was doing what she could for the cause of saving the Jews. See, I bring that up because I've heard people say when they read a book like Fox's Book of Martyrs and whatnot, what a waste of life. No. They gave their life knowing they, were, they continued to follow Christ, knowing that death might be an option. And many times it was. But just because they were not delivered does not mean that they were not standing for God and they weren't rewarded. As a matter of fact, we read in the Bible in Acts, was it chapter 8, of Stephen as he's being stoned. What's the Bible say he saw in heaven? Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now the Bible tells us when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But Stephen saw Jesus Christ standing. And let me tell you what I believe was happening. <laughs> I believe as the first martyr for Jesus Christ was dying, Jesus Christ himself stood up and honored him and said, I honor that man. I'll tell you what. That's a whole lot better than living anyhow, wouldn't it be? 
I believe he received a hero's welcome. Now think of that. He's doing it for the one that died for him. But Jesus Christ, I believe, gave him a hero's welcome as he entered into the gates of heaven. Folks, I'm not saying we go out trying to die for the cause of Christ. But honestly, think of the one song we sing, Faith of Our Fathers. Somebody, could, somebody looked that up for me because I forget exactly how the verse goes. But Faith of Our Fathers. And in the, in the one verse, it talks about, although our forefathers were in prisons dark and chained. Look at this. I got it right here. Our fathers chained in prisons dark were still in heart and conscience free. How sweet would be their children's fate if they like them could die for thee. We sing those words. Do we mean those words? Now, it doesn't mean we're going out looking to die, but if God chooses for us to be a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ, wouldn't that be an honor? You say, well, I'm scared to die. Well, I told you before, we don't have the grace to die just yet. You know why? Ain't time yet. But I believe when it's time to die, because I read, I read about the martyrs, and I'm like, how did they have the grace to stand there and endure? I'll tell you how. Because when they came, God gave them the grace to stand there and endure. And if we should so be called upon, God will give us the grace. Because I'll tell you, and I'll give you a little hint where we're going here with Esther. How do you think it felt to walk in before the king? How do you think it felt for her to open the court doors and to barge in? You think that was easy? I promise you it wasn't. I bet you her heart was pounding right out of her chest as she cracked that door open. But she did it. But maybe not. Maybe because she spent three days fasting and praying, maybe God gave her such a perfect peace that as she walked in there, she knew God doesn't matter. It's all up to you. And maybe like many of the martyrs who, when we read their accounts, it says that they had such a peaceful look on their faces, they're dying. Maybe God gave her that grace to walk in there. And instead of having her heart pounding, Maybe she walked in there with a peace and a confidence, not a brashness, but a confidence as she approached that king, knowing God's in control. See, sometimes I think, again, we very easily look at the situation from under the sun instead of from his perspective. Because could he not give us that kind of grace in those situations? And could he not give her that kind of grace as she's approaching the king? Yes, he can. And we need to remember He's the God of all grace. So let's do right because it's right. And always choose to do right no matter the consequences, no matter the cost. Because God will reward us for doing right.